0: Good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of the Manchester is Red podcast and the Manchester Evening News. Uh, I'm your host today, Tyrone Marshall, and joining me only only one only one guest today. Rich Fairie uh, unavailable for uh, a variety of reasons, it would seem. But uh, the guest today is uh, the one and only Samuel Lockhurst.
1: Hello, Ty. Thank you for Hello. having me.
0: That's that's quite all right. Well, if it wasn't you, it would have been just me talking to an empty <laughs> screen. So I'm uh, I'm glad someone's here. Um, we'll have to talk between ourselves then, and and starting point would would be the midweek game, I guess, and and a pretty decent win against Istanbul here. first half, especially very good from United.
1: It was. I thought though, since Lays in the first half, the, the start that they made to the game was their best in or fair old world, probably since uh, the the post restart games when they had that, that flurry uh, there where it was an unchanged side and they were winning games with an hour to spare or half an hour to spare. So, yeah, it was it was very impressive overall, I thought. I thought Cavani looked very good at the, at the tip of the arrow. Van der Beek was good. It was just interesting looking at the whole of that side in that it was almost completely made up of players that had signed contracts on Solskjaer's watch or players that had been signed by Solskjaer. The only exception being Fred, who has improved under Solskjaer and is just undroppable at, undroppable at the moment to the point that he was he was starting again. In midweek, I don't think he's missed a league game since, since the Tottenham trouncing in, in early October. So that, that's just a measure of, of how important he's become. They got complacent in the last half an hour. I think sometimes when you have the, the, the slew of substitutes that you can make in the European games that obviously there's going to be, it's, it's going to compromise fluidity and the rhythm and you know, De Gea was slightly culpable for that goal that, that was conceded. And if the shot goes in rather than hitting the crossbar, then it's it's probably a needlessly nervy finish. But 4-1, I think, was was still more than a fair reflection of, of how the game went. And they, I suppose the only downside for United was that at half-time, you are thinking they could win this 5-0 or 6-0. And in the end, it was only, in inverted commas, I suppose, 4-1.
0: Yeah, we did a podcast on Monday, and all sort of predicted four, five, six changes. And in the end, there the was very few. I think there was only only two really, which was probably a result uh, of that defeat in Istanbul and Solskjaer not thinking he can take any risks. But the the players that did come in, in in Van der Beek and Cavani were were key to the win. And I suppose that's what you want as a manager, isn't it? That two players have come in there and now should probably be in line to start at Southampton this weekend.
1: Absolutely, I think Southampton have have given. Solskjaer, some of his toughest tests. You think of the last two games at Old Trafford where Southampton have played, they were really unfortunate to lose 3-2 in, I think it was March 2019. I think it was just before, it was the the last game before the PSG game. But they, they were excellent in that game and they were well worth a point um, in the July game, I think it was, towards the end of mm. last season when they ended United's winning run in, in the league. Uh, they've. I think Solskjaer will probably say it's at the press conference. They've been one of the toughest teams that he's come up against as, as United manager and they've had a really good start to the season. They're fifth in the Premier League. But I still don't think that they're a team that demand a level of respect that Solskjaer has paid to other teams. I think they are a team where... Whereby Solskjaer could completely justify starting Cavani. The fact that there's a five-day gap helps United a hell of a lot as well. In that they've they've had proper rest. It didn't seem like there were any major injuries in midweek. Um, I think there's there's every chance, or, or certainly there's an argument to to play the same side that that starts in midweek, provided that Lindelof and and Wan Bissaka's injuries aren't aren't so bad that they have to miss out uh, this weekend. So I, I mean, what I've seen of Cavani. So far, up until the game on Wednesday, sorry Tuesday night, it's, he's not really stood out too much. I thought he looked quite sharp when he came on in his debut against Chelsea. I know at the weekend um, he, he fluffed the odd chance here there against West Brom, and I, I wasn't really too taken by him then. But I think again, he, Solskjaer's specific handling of of Cavani just reiterates his coaching cachet with strikers, in that when Cavani came in, you knew he'd have that period of quarantine to see out and there were going to be games he wasn't going to be ready for because I think he last played in March before he came to United so I think Basak Basak here at home was always the obvious game to start him in so probably having that in mind and Cavani knowing that he was always going to start that game quite a while in, in, in advance he was able to build up to it prepare himself for it and he was he was really sharp he was unfortunate not to score he probably should have scored early in the second half with with that shot that that was deflected over but there's there's absolute merit, I think, in starting him against Southampton, but that's the key for him. He's he's obviously going to have to transmit that kind of form against Basak here to the Premier League. And unfortunately, United, so far this season, when they have had really good midweek European wins, they've proceeded very underwhelming performances in the Premier League against Chelsea and Arsenal. And consistency has been something that this side has really struggled to, to get a hold of. And that's why it makes the weekend's game uh, such an important one, such an interesting
0: one. Yeah, I, I mean, Solskjaer went quite aggressive with his front three in in midweek and probably played the three players that can play as a, as a centre forward in in that system and a new face in, in right wing roulette with Rashford. That that's probably the weakest position of his across the front three. Wanted not want to play there long term, but but short term, do you think playing those three can work at the moment and and is probably United's best approach going forward for the front three? I think that was something that I tried to reflect on my piece on Tuesday night in that although Rashford
1: played very well, you can't really see him staying there for the long run. Um, if, if he does turn out to be a really good right winger, then I think that would surprise everyone because he he doesn't like playing there. I think coaches who have worked with him before at United have said that he doesn't like playing there. Marshall doesn't like playing there as well. Um, I think... Mourinho was was pretty adamant that those two had to be wingers while he was manager at United and even now under Solskjaer with Martial you're wondering is he going to go back to the wing I still think it's very premature to write off Martial as a striker just because he's had a three-match ban he's missed a couple of chances he's just having one of those periods where it's not going for him I'm not saying he's going to be a number nine like Kane or Lewandowski I, I really don't think he will be I, I don't think he's Got that about him. I don't think he's a specialist enough striker to hit the heights of of those two um, players. Who are probably at the moment you argue are the only world class out and out strikers in in world football. It's it's a very very um, shallow area that pool. Um, but with Rashford, it, it's got to be worth trialing every now and then. I Think with if you're taking Greenwood into account as well. He, he just strikes everyone as a player that is going to end up more centrally. Solskjaer was, I remember, I think it was the Boxing Day game last year against Newcastle. He was telling Greenwood Mm -hmm. to move more infield, move more central, because that's where he's going to get his goals. And that's where he played mainly in the academy teams as well. I think he is bound to be... um, I mean what's sent forward these days there was this mm. debate a couple of years ago that the number nine is dead and then you see what Lewandowski's done this year and you see what Kane's doing at Tottenham at the moment and it's it's a role that is constantly being redefined but I think it's safe to say that Greenwood's forte eventually will be through the middle the trouble is Rashford wants to play through the middle, Marsh wants to play through the middle but I think from, from Saliskel's perspective I, I know that seems like a problem but he showed post lockdown that it doesn't have to be a problem if they do interchange, if they do combine, and that's probably the thing that he's got to try and really try and um, what's the word? It's probably a really basic word, but just I'm, I'm, having a, I'm having a complete brain freeze here, which is not good whatsoever. Crack. That was li- that was literally it. Crack. 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 Um, yeah, it, that's 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 what he's got to crack. It's it's got mm. to be you know getting those three in that team. Um, changing positions constantly, pulling defenders out of out of position. A little bit like what Liverpool do with with Mane, Salah and, and Firmino. Mm. Firmino's striker. He must be the most selfless striker in the world because I think he makes Mane and Salah better players by virtue of how selfless he is off the ball and on the ball. And so that's something for the United to aspire to. I know that's not a popular comment I thought Moy said all those years ago, but Ultimately, they have got to aspire to have a front three playing at that consistent live, level of uh,
0: of Liverpool's front three.
1: And that's not even mentioning Diogo Jota.
0: Yeah. And I guess that, that winning midweek kind of papered over those cracks in, in Istanbul and re-exerted United's authority in, in this group. And they're in a position now where they can get the job done next weekend and try and rest players, which I guess is, is absolutely essential given the schedule that, that's coming up, isn't it? I think they've
1: got nine games in December and that's guaranteed. Mm. It's not like... There, there, there's one game that could change there. They've they've all got fixed dates now after the fixtures were were finally confirmed by by the Premier League on Thursday. So it is going to be a fascinating period because there have been previous United managers who have had some actually, torturous December's and and have still survived them. I mean. Van really should have been sacked five years ago in December when I think they lost four games and they didn't win a single game in December. You had the infamous winter of discontent in eighty-nine with with Ferguson and the three years of excuses and it's still crap, bedsheet being unfurled. <laughs> On the Stretford end, Moyes had two really bad defeats in December. Uh how long ago is that now? Seven years ago nearly, to to Everton and Newcastle when I remember still very young at the time, back when I was young, right at the time that he, he, he should be sacked then as well, because I was I was just I was convinced he was never going to be a success at United anyway, yeah. but I, I think I still think that the season the season was salvageable at that stage. So it, it is one of those periods, even taking into account that the season started a month later than usual, where managers can Can be under the cosh and Solskjaer, you know, quickly quelled that last year with those two brilliant wins over Tottenham and City in the space of a week, which I think was right at the start of December. So you look at the fixtures and how tricky they are, how tough they are. Um, it's you know, it is an invidious time in 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 a lot of ways, but it's also a period that Uniteds have got to relish. And it's still it's still going to be surreal, obviously, with with no supporters being at the the majority of those games. You would think as well. So I think again, just looking objectively at Southgate at the moment, I know things can change extremely drastically. And this time next week, we might be there might be a completely different tone to how we're talking about United because they've got Southampton Sunday and PSG on, on Wednesday. But objectively, they are a point away from the last 16 in the Champions League. They are in a quarterfinal of a cup competition. They're back in the top half of the table after only nine games played. We're only a quarter of the way through the league season, I think. So it's not too terrible. But of course, this this spell has been punctured by some pretty jambolic and abysmal defeats that do make you question... Um, his suitability as manager and I think that's just been a recurring theme ever since he was yep.
0: given the job on a permanent basis anyway. Yeah before we move on to look at Southampton one um, story of yours from Thursday I think it was Timothy fosu in line oh, yes. for a, a new contract um, one that <laughs> took me a little bit by surprise on my day off. Can you, me, see, the yeah. logic? <laughs> Can you see the logic in United trying to, to tie him down to a, another new deal?
1: Um, there is, there is some logic if you're looking at it from a perspective, but I think from a United fans perspective, there's probably no, no logic. And even from a journalistic perspective, mm. there's no logic. Um Solskjaer liked Fosa Mensa before he even brought him back in from the cold at Palace in, in July, I think it was. And his, apparently his attitude in training had impressed him. His training performances had impressed him, uh, I think there was some surprise that the one year extension was triggered on his contract purely because he hadn't played for United in three years. And if they were going to do away with James Wilson last year, who was someone you thought they might get 500 grand for, then maybe, you know, Fosu Mensah would be let go as well. But at the time I was told that his his reputation on the continent was quite high. Just the profile of, I suspect, an Ajax-schooled United Academy graduate who has attained caps. Um, with with Holland and who I think was named in De Boer's provisional squad in late September as well because he'd he'd played in the in the Palace game, so his his reputation is is quite is quite decent on the continent and also he's only twenty two years years of age still which he doesn't doesn't seem that way because he's been around for a while um, and from United's perspective he's he's a utility player. Um, he can play at right-back, he can play at centre-back, left-back, midfield. I don't really think anyone knows what his best position is. He is a midfield by trade, but he's played most of his games for the first team, the United first team, and Fulham at Palace at right-back. But having that versatility is, is, is rare, I guess, with, with some players. And also, if it doesn't work out after a year, there's every chance that they will be able to sell him. But I think that's... That, that is the problem with United, using with Andreas Pereira. When when you tie down a player on a new contract and then when it becomes clear that they are surplus, it becomes very difficult to sell them. And the way United are having to go about it an awful lot of time now is just by arranging loan deals and getting a loan, a loan fee in the process. Um, even Chris Smalling, who was eminently sellable in the summer, only left on deadline day and that was only confirmed after... You know, the the Teles deal was announced, and it just so happened that that Smalling was leaving for exactly the same fee. So you know th- there is an element of whoever comes in, or sorry, whoever's going out is going to dictate who comes in there. But it, it is it is strange. I mean, I still wouldn't be surprised if Fosunter does go. I mean, he can agree a pre-contract deal with with clubs in January if he doesn't sign an extension before then. But it is if that announcement does happen, he does sign a new contract. Um, I think that announcement is going to go down like a lead balloon. But mm. I mean, I was told, I think it was last, last month or earlier this month in terms of the way United you know, go about contracts, because it's been extremely dubious to say the least that since they appointed Cliff Bates as the chief financial officer in 2016, in, they tie down players on deals because it protects the asset. I think it was the asset value, and it looks good on the balance sheet. The trouble is, of course, United have overestimated their capacity to get fees for these players who have just been given, um, frankly, excessive contracts, and they can't sell them. Rojo is a case in point. Phil Jones is another one. So it's why that it's not beyond the realms of possibility that someone like Jesse Lingard, who is more renowned for flogging pistachios than soaring goals these days, could actually. You know, have, get get a new contract, mm. which seems remarkable, but um, that, that whole asset management has to be factored into it. It seems, as I said, it seems risible, but that's the way it could go. And it's the same with Pogba as well, because he's such a valuable player, even though he doesn't deserve a contract and it looks like they are just going to have to sell him next summer Um, is another one I think he's you know he's approaching the last 18 months of his deal so it's a strange way they go about contracts but the financial aspect of it is is very imperative
0: when it comes to what the balance sheets look like yeah I mean they've got such a Big squad, I think 31 seed professionals at the moment, that it almost feels like they have to just accept some of these players
1: yeah. leaving Goniferry
0: just to, to trim down the numbers and, and take the hit rather than risk tying players down and then finding them unsellable as they have done in the past with Rocco yeah. and, and Phil Jones and others. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Southampton then, I guess selection-wise, the, the real interesting thing here is going to be the midfield and, and whether he goes with that same midfield of, of Fred van der Beek and, and Fernandez. What do you see happening? What do you see Solskjaer doing here? Do you think he'll, he'll play the same team in the same midfield?
1: Well, I think a lot depends on the fitness of McTomney, which kind of went under the radar in midweek, because I don't think he was on the bench even uh, for the yeah, for it's... the Basaksehir game. So that would suggest that he's carrying a knock of some kind or he's not completely fit um if he is fit then it wouldn't be a surprise to see him come back into the team with fred because that seems the most stable midfield partnership at the moment van der beek still not starting the league and mm. southampton as i said are having a very good season but it is one of those fine balances and that I, I, sus- I suspect if, if mctominy is fit Solskjaer will bring him back in purely because of his experiences coming up against Southampton, who have been a really, really good opponent against United, yeah. particularly in the old Trafford games. And also uh, the fact that Southampton are fifth, they are playing well. But just just looking at their team the other night against Wolves, although they obviously are doing well this season, they are very much a collective side. There's, an, It's not like the team that Pochettino assembled, where there were, there were some upcoming stars like Lallana, like Luke Shaw, um Dejan Lovren got a 20 million pound move to Liverpool in 2014 as well there you know Nathaniel Klein went to Liverpool the next year as well there were so many players there that the big clubs clearly saw as potential players for them that's not really the case with Southampton now at the moment but clearly with Hassan Hütel they have got their identity back that they had when they first when they got promoted back to the Premier League in 2012 and Adkins was the manager, and then Pochettino came rather surprisingly at the time, mm. really through that season. And there was a successful transition with Coombe, but then they lost their way. And you know, the, the, the Nadir, I guess, was appointing Mark Hughes, who just seemed a very un Southampton manager. But Hassan Hutal is, you know, is. is pretty wedded to the club now. I think he got a new contract in the summer as well and things are going well. So it's, it's that fine line of not underestimating them but also not overestimating them and that's why I think there is an argument to to play Van der Beek and Cavani oh. but I suspect, I, I just suspect that if, if McTominay is available then Cavani and Van der Beek won't start. But if they do, it'll be interesting to see how that goes because Van der Beek's not starting the league yet.
0: And I yeah, is absolutely. Cavani. Yeah, absolutely. I would tend to agree with you that if Atomany is fit Van Der Beek won't start which I'm sure will go down brilliantly on uh, on Twitter at 1pm on Sunday which we'll have the uh, the joy of I mean yeah. they kind of touched on it and you weren't fit because you were at the game on, uh, on Tuesday and I was doing it from home and they touched on it in commentary really that that United midfield Gives it gives United a lot going forward, but can be quite open as well. And yeah. they were kind of saying if, if they played this way against PSG, it could finish 9-all. And you you can kind of see that argument, can't you? That Fred and yeah. Van der Beek give United a lot, but can be got at as well and leave a, a, a fairly ropey defence still badly exposed. And I guess that's the risk that Solskjaer has to try and balance for, for these bigger games, doesn't he?
1: Yeah. I mean, as I said, with, with Van der Beek and Fred, you're not going to play them against... City next month I just don't I, I don't really see that happening I think that's a game that McTominay unless something goes wrong <coughs> excuse me absolutely has to start because he's he's suited to that occasion as he's suited to the occasion of PSG and that might be something Solskjaer has to bear in mind McTominy is not quite fit enough for this weekend or there's an element of risk around it do you risk him and therefore he could miss the PSG again Wednesday night when he's arguably more needed for that PSG game. Some might disagree with that, but I think, you know, Saskia is having to select teams for games a week, weeks in advance now because of of the fixture congestion, how relentless it is. As you said the other day, they've got midweek games going well into January. Um, I know there are no FA Cup replays this season, but given how condensed the season is, um, I don't think that's going to make too much of a difference in terms of how... um, how relentless the schedule is for for the players so it will be interesting to see when these big games come along next month like the, the city game is obviously the standout one leicester to a lesser extent i suppose um and, and you don't know where leicester might be in the league come at boxing Day game but they are you know they, they're kind of in united slipstream these days so that there, there has to be an element of respect paid to them when it comes to to picking teams. But I think Southampton is a game where, where Southampton can justify Van de Beek and Fred. But of course, if they lose it and they lose it in a way where those midfield, the midfield two are exposed, then it's going to back up his argument that McTominay and
0: Fred is, is the way forward with Fernandez ahead of them. Yeah, and one player that we know is probably the first name on the team sheet is Fernandez. We, we spoke on Monday about whether United are over-reliant on him and, and possibly they are. But I mean, who can blame them at the moment is his his record since arriving, is just absolutely phenomenal, yeah. isn't it? And he he keeps delivering. He does. There's there's not much
1: more you can really add to what's what's already been said about oh. him. The fact he got the, the SmartBuzz Player of the Year award after coming in halfway through the season is is a reflection of just just how pivotal he is for United. And I mean, I was I was kind of reluctant to make the our comparison back in. June, July time, but then you saw seasoned match goes, it'd be going since the eighties or the seventies, like mentioning them in the same breath. And you think, okay, it's, it's maybe not blasphemous. And he has had a similar impact there, um, you know, th- Rio Fernand was lamenting the lack of leaders or absence of leaders in the United squad in midweek, and I think he had half a point when he was saying, you know, nobody was on Fernandez's case when he was giving the ball again, away against West Brom. Well, the irony is, I think if someone was doing that, Fernandes would be on their case because he's never, he's never hesitated since he came in and uh, advising or admonishing teammates, he's he's got you know he's racked up quite the kill list I think on on that front. And <laughs> something something clearly happened at halftime against Tottenham where it got quite heated and he was involved in that. Um, he's just a spiky character, but United yeah. need spiky characters. They need someone who's going to put Pep Guardiola back in their box during a derby. Um, that. that- you know, he was he was already uh very much yeah you know, fans favourite by that point, but that just revered him that that just made him more revered even more and he captained the team at PSG last month as well, which again was a reflection of Of his status in the squad and even though there's an element of the individualist with Fernandes as you saw again in midweek he is a selfless player that's twice this month he's passed up opportunities to get a hat-trick he played one on for Cavani to score at Everton and he allowed Rashford to score in midweek as well and I suppose he he let Marshall score the penalty against Leipzig um, I think it was late last month so that he marries that selfishness with that selflessness really quite quite deftly and I think it's you know there aren't many world class players in this United squad at the moment, but I don't think anybody would dispute that he is a world class player.
0: Absolutely, he's probably already got the Tom Bosby Awards showing up for this season. As long as uh, he stays fit, you'd think on the yeah. on performances so far. So finally, looking ahead to the to the weekend, our, our favourite time, trying to predict what comes next with uh, the most inconsistent team in the Premier League. Uh, what do we think is going to happen with United at Southampton this weekend? Uh, um. Oh. I really hate Anything. these
1: questions. I, I don't think either <laughs> of us like these questions. No, I won't bring you down for the
0: score. But do you, I mean, it, Southampton have done very well this season, but it's a game United should be winning if they have ambitions of of comfortably finishing in the top four, isn't it? That, that's that's absolutely fair to
1: say. They've they've got to get going at some point or another. I think mm. it will be, it could be relatively significant if they win this weekend. It'll be the first time this season they've they've won four games on the spin. Three of them will have come in the Premier League. Uh, and I think the only other time they won three games on the spin two of them were League Cup games so that wasn't a particularly um, you know, special period or a period to really clutch onto so if they win this weekend it's, it's a big step in the right direction and mm. um, you know Solskjaer has quelled the speculation the issues around his future in, in recent weeks and this would be another good way of going about it if they get I mean, if they if they beat Southampton, they get a point against PSG or even the other way around. Um, I think he will look upon that as as a reasonably successful couple of games. Yeah. But they are there has to come a point where they start moving up the table in the Premier League. And that they are rather, they're not the only ones who are fortunate, but this season in the Premier League, there are massive caveats against every side, even Liverpool, who are probably the only team that you'd say... Uh, a recognisable pre and post lockdown they've got some major injuries to contend with and you wonder when those injuries are going to take their toll on them maybe in December amid the the fixture congestion City are obviously lagging in the league struggling to score the defence still looks um, very dubious haven't signed left back missing Aguero all these teams have got massive asterisks against them in terms of how they how far they can, can can go in Premier League this season Um, So United, I think ultimately, whoever is remotely consistent, it's not even down to the brilliance of the football they play, whoever is remotely consistent will, will win the league. That's not going to be United, I think it's fair to say. But if they just get a measure of that consistency, then top four should be reasonably comfortable this season, even though on the face of it, it does look a more competitive season. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I would agree with that. Right, Samuel, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's all for now. We'll be back on Monday or Tuesday, I'm sure, with a a review of whatever does happen at Southampton and I look forward to uh, PSG. So join us then and give us a like, subscribe, tell a friend, all that jazz, and we'll be back early next week.